Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does temptation by the devil look like? I think we have a typical idea when we think about what temptation by the devil looks like. My mom, she works at a medical laboratory downstate in Flint. And uh, because of the nature of their work there, they always keep it very secured. The doors are always locked. If anybody wants locked, if anybody wants to get in, they have to have their security credentials, and it's very secure all the time. It's open 24 hours, but especially at nighttime, they make sure that it's locked down real safe. Well, one day, not that long ago, one evening, it's the middle of the night, and the people who are working in the lab they see a shadowy figure making his way to the doors. They're like, okay, the door's locked. Yes, everything's okay. He gets closer, and they see he's carrying a chainsaw and knocks on the door. Will you let me in? And their answer, of course, was no. This, I think, is what we typically imagine temptation by the devil to look like. Here he comes with a chainsaw, and oh my goodness, there's Satan. We better keep the doors locked. By the way, they kept them locked. They didn't let the chainsaw guy in. I don't know why he was there, but we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) We think the temptation by the devil is just going to be obvious and clear. Here's this evil guy coming to us. But in point of fact, he doesn't like to work that way. The deceiver, Satan, is much more subtle. And his central strategy it really hinges on one little word. One little word. We see this word and this strategy at work in today's gospel. But also, how our Lord Jesus overcomes that temptation for you and me. And how we also can combat that temptation. So what is that one little word that's so central to Satan's tempting strategy? Well, let's look again at the gospel. I want to read these words of Satan back to you and see if you can pick up a pattern, something that comes up again and again. So Satan, with his slithery voice, comes out to the Lord Jesus, and he says to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Again, he says to Jesus, I'll give you all this authority and their glory. It's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And then a third temptation, taking Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You notice a pattern within those temptations, a word that shows up again and again? What is it? If, if, if. See, Satan loves hypotheticals. He knows that if he can just get his serpentine head in there and get the Lord to start thinking, to get you and me to start thinking, to be marinating in unreality, that's where he can get us. This is how he operates. We typically think of him as the serpent, which he is. But he's a nocturnal animal. He loves the darkness. So we might also think of him as the evil raccoon or bat. (laughs) 
Because what does he want to do? He wants to drag the Lord into the darkness of unreality, into the shadow of that hypothetical if, if, if. If he can get him there, if he can bring him into the darkness, then he knows that he can separate Jesus from his faith and confidence in the love of the Father. And look, we got to say, this is a pretty effective strategy. Now, we're quick to look at this and to think, okay, but Jesus, I mean, he is fully God. This is no big deal. He can duel with the devil. No problem. But if we jump there too quickly, we forget that he is not only fully God, but he is also fully man. Luke says as much. He's been out there 40 days without food, and he was hungry. (laughs) He's hungry. Of course he's hungry. And I want you to imagine the doubts and the questions, the assaults that Jesus must have been enduring throughout those 40 days surrounded by the desolation of the wilderness, hungry and feeling alone. No doubt those what-ifs were starting to rumble around in his head as he knows where he is going, as he knows the vocation, the calling that is ahead of him. He's thinking, what if the Father isn't trustworthy? What if he doesn't bring me back from the dead? What if? Don't jump too quickly to saying, well, Jesus is fully God. This is going to be no problem at all. If he is only fully God and not fully man, then he can't do this temptation for you and me. Him overcoming Satan would just be another one of God's incredible, miraculous tricks, which he's able to do because he is all-powerful, because he is the creator of the universe. Only because Jesus is also fully man is he able to endure this temptation for us. Is he able to go toe-to-toe with the evil one for us? So don't run too quickly to how easily Jesus can dispatch the evil one. But dispatch him, he does. And how does he do it? He does it by refusing to indulge these speculative scenarios of Satan. Well, if you are the Son of God, Jesus, I'm going to stop you right there, Jesus says, as he unsheaths the sword of the Spirit, right? He goes right back at Satan with the concrete, revealed word of Scripture. Well, if you are the Son of God, this is how Satan talks. If you are the Son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, Satan. Invoking the words of Deuteronomy. Again, Jesus invokes the words of Deuteronomy with that second temptation. Worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And once more. When Satan has him up and says, if you are the son of God, jump down here. He'll save you. And notice Satan even tries to invoke scripture. I wrote about this a few weeks ago. Satan's able to take and bend the Bible to his aims. It says right there in the Psalms, he will not let you dash your foot against a stone. Interestingly, Satan, not a very good interpreter of scripture, leaves out the immediately following verses from the psalm that he quotes in, in which it says, speaking of the Lord, you will trample on the serpent. (laughs) 
Didn't read that one, did you, devil? Oh, sorry about that. So Jesus duels with the devil and has him overcome. He will not dwell in the darkness with the evil one, but instead he overcomes him with light so that now Satan, that diabolical serpent slash raccoon slash bat, also gets shown for the vampire that he is as he just withers away in the light of the Lord. That's what Jesus has done for us with that victory. But what then does it mean for us in our lives as Christians? As we live by faith and we are still susceptible to the temptations of the devil. I told you, he loves hypotheticals and what he really wants to do, what Satan wants to do is to induce spiritual hypochondria in you and me. You know what hypochondria is? It's where you have this, yeah, some of you are like, yes, I do know. Where you have this abnormal obsession, assuming that you have some kind of, of disease, that you have some sort of disorder, a disorder. It's a preoccupation with things that are wrong with you, that aren't really there. A spiritual hypochondria that Satan wants to lead us to is to, to cause us constantly to be questioning our faith, the certainty of our salvation, the faithfulness of our God to us. Symptoms of spiritual hypochondria include a preoccupation with how much fruit you're bringing forth. Other symptoms include a focus on your spiritual temperature from day to day. Well, I'm a good Christian today or am I a bad Christian? How am I doing? Am I being sinful? Am I walking in the spirit? Has this been a really good day or a bad day? Other symptoms include dwelling on and drilling on sins from the past, regrets that you're still carrying with you. All of these things might be indicative of a kind of spiritual hypochondria that Satan wants to induce in you and me. And why does he want to do that? Because so, oft, so long as we are navel-gazing and looking to ourselves for reassurance, where are we not looking to? Christ. And Christ, Satan knows full well, is the one who has the victory already and who has given this victory to you and to me. So long as we are dwelling on that one little word, if, 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 if we are not dwelling upon the love of our Savior for us and the victory that he already has. When you sense that spiritual hypochondria overtaking you, don't let it linger. So then what should you do instead? How can you and I combat these temptations of the evil one? Well, let me first say that I would be practicing pastoral malpractice if I said to you, now go out there and look out for the devil and go after him. Go and uh, attack that roaring lion who's coming after you. Don't do it. There's that line in A Mighty Fortress, which we're going to, to sing at the conclusion of today's ser service where it says, on earth he has no equal. And we take that out of context, and you're just singing that, and you might sing it boldly. That's right, on earth he has no equal. And we think we're singing about Jesus, but that's not what that line is about. Who is it who on earth has no equal? Satan. On earth he has no equal. You and I ought not to get into the ring lightly with the evil one. But there's something else that that hymn says, which is instructive here. Toward the end of one of the verses, Luther writes in that hymn, one little word subdues the devil. 
One little word. It's not if. <laughs> what is it? It's an interesting question. It doesn't say in the hymn itself. And you think, okay, what is this one little word that subdues Satan? This is important information. I would like to know this. You think, well, is it just, is it Lord? Is it the name of Jesus? Certainly, it's a powerful name. We want to invoke the name of Jesus. That's what will we'll push back the evil one. But that's not what Luther has in mind here. He wrote a letter some years later reflecting on this hymn. And he says, he reveals what that one little word was that he had in mind. Liar. The one little word that subdues Satan is what calls him for who and what he is. Liar. The father of lies who constantly wants to take you away from your Savior, to speak these untruths into your mind, into your heart. So that you think and say, well, am I really a child of God? If I were really a Christian, would I be living this way? What if I'm not really a believer? What if I'm just deceiving myself? All of these sorts of lies, the father of lies, constantly wants to bring before our eyes and in our hearts. But that's where you have to recognize it for what it is. And by the power of the Spirit, say back to him, liar! I know who I am in Christ. Yes, I'm a sinner. So what? I'm a sinner who is redeemed by Christ. That's what's true of me. I am a child of God clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of my saintliness or righteousness that I claim to be able to be numbered among one of God's children, but because of the saintliness of my Savior Christ, because his righteousness avails for me. And oh, in case you forget Satan, he's the one who defeated you already, who trampled on you, you dirty little serpent, raccoon, bat, liar, vampire thing. Ain't nobody got time for him. Invoke that one little word because Christ has the victory for you already. And one little word can fell the evil one, the liar that he is. So fix your eyes on Christ, the truth for you. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.